Hey Jesus Time family, welcome back. I'm your host, Gisela Lou, and today we have kind of a different and special fun thing as we are looking at anxiety. This past December, I got to share at our yearly conference, Faith Walkers in North Carolina, a seminar entitled The Other Side of Anxiety. And in this session, I'm going to share my story, my journey, and some incredible truths and wisdom that God gave me to help me walk through my anxiety struggle to come out on the other side healed and free. It was a long process, and I'm not perfect, but our God is. And everything he shared with me, I'm going to get to share with you through this teaching. I hope you enjoy. My name is Gisela Liu, and this seminar is entitled The Other Side of Anxiety. So if this is not where you meant to be, don't be anxious. Just sneak out the back and find your seminar. But if you are anxious, maybe you should stay. I don't know. You know, like I'm not your mom. I'm not going to tell you what to do, except for you. I am your mom, and I will tell you what to do. You're over 18, so. I know. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, fun facts. Ten years ago, more or less, I did a seminar called Confessions of an Anxious Pastor's Wife. And, I mean, that was long ago. I'm, nobody probably remembers, but the reason back then that I chose to do that is because I was a pastor's wife diagnosed with anxiety. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> and at that time, uh, no one was really talking about it, and especially not in the church. So I, I wasn't even sure we were allowed to talk about anxiety, right? Because be anxious for nothing. So if you're anxious, what would anyone tell you? be anxious for nothing. So, so it was kind of this weird space and I, and I thought, you know, I really want to speak into this because I know there are other people struggling with anxiety, depression, mental health issues, and because God gave me a disproportionately large mouth, I've measured it, I'm not just telling a story here, I thought, okay, Lord, this is, this is important. I want my sisters to know they're not the only ones struggling, so I, I shared. And it it was so funny because for years I had had symptoms of anxiety, right? I had those, I think now they're called intrusive thoughts, where your thoughts are racing and one thing happens, and by the time you finish that thought in 1.7 seconds, you're all the way on the other side of this thought, and the world has ended because of something you did. Okay? Isabel! I'm sorry. I love... <laughs> I know, but, but you guys, I have to say, so I, you know, my husband is Frank Lou, the Asian Adonis that will speak tonight, and I have these for, oh, I am a fan of his. I am a, I am a fan. Really? I never thought you I know. But, and I also have these four amazing kids that I, I mean, I kind of hit the lottery with the kids I have. They're my favorite, and every time I see them, regardless of what I'm doing or I'm in the middle of, I just have to stop and celebrate who they are. I'm not even kidding, guys. I, I'm such a fan, so, and I'm very thankful that my whole family can be here together. Same. Same. He gets it, okay? All right, so. The symptoms that I had several years ago, aside from the racing thoughts, which I was very diligent to take captive, I had I've been to every Faith Walkers ever, even before it was called Faith Walkers. I read my Bible every day. I journal. I pray. I memorize. I do all the things, but I still have these symptoms and struggles. And so the 10-year-ago symptoms... Not, not only were in my thoughts, which were there and was a struggle, but I knew to take my thoughts captive, but there were some physical symptoms that were kind of wild. So the symptoms included tingling, tingling sensations in my hands and feet. I felt constantly like I had electrical currents running throughout my body. I was dizzy. I, was, I had stomach issues. I had blurry vision. I would every now and then uh, get startled because I could swear I saw something coming from the side. And then the worst symptom which led me to seek medical help was every night for about a year and a half I had what now I know were panic attacks but back then every night I'd go to bed and I couldn't catch my breath and my heart would be racing and I'd be like okay well I just guess uh, I guess this is what it means to be a middle-aged woman in America serving in the church I, I just thought that's what what it was 
So I went to the doctor, because I really wanted to breathe. Like, that, that would have been nice. Like, sleeping, sleeping would have been great, but I would have settled for breathing. So I go to my doctor, who happened to be this incredible woman of God, gentle, loving, really good listener. And I shared with her all my symptoms. So she, of course, the first thing she did was the EKG, which came back normal. She's like, oh my goodness, your EKG is textbook. And even though she said that with a smile, I felt very defeated. Because what did that mean? There are no answers. I don't know what's going on. So she asked questions and she listened and I told her, all of my symptoms, even though I thought they were unrelated, because I have watched a lot of medical shows, and I know to be thorough with, with what I tell my doctor. So, so I'm sharing with her all these symptoms, and then she's listening very intently, and she's like, you know, Gisela, I think you have anxiety, and I think you would really benefit from medication. And I was like, no, 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 sweet, cute little doctor lady. I don't have anxiety. I take my thoughts captive. I have physical symptoms. I need you to help me with that. And she just nodded. And just this was when she's like, Gisela, it is possible for you to do a great job taking your thoughts captive, but still have anxiety, which manifests physically. And then I went back and I said, no, 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 cute little doctor lady who's really well-meaning but way off base. I don't have anxiety because it's a sin, right? Be anxious for nothing, and a sin can't be a diagnosis. So no. And she was so patient with me. And finally, she took this sheet of paper, slid it across the, the desk, and this paper had 100 symptoms of anxiety. And I thought, oh, I'll have like four maybe seven. I read every symptom, 100 symptoms. Out of all 100, I had 75. Now, <laughs> I know, not like it's a competition, but I just want, no. <laughs> so so I, it, really, it really hit me. I'm like, oh, this thing is real, and I have it. And in that moment, I felt simultaneously overwhelming relief. Oh, maybe I'll be able to breathe. And overwhelming shame. Oh no, I have anxiety. What am I missing? I am now the weak link in my church. That's great. That felt that both at the same time. So I go home, I talk with my poor, sweet, amazing therapist pastor husband who felt really bad that he missed it but also it's not on him because I know dad's the best I know but it wasn't on him because I had learned to push through because that's what we do as women and especially as Christian women right we 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 do what needs to get done, especially if you're a mom because your kids at that point couldn't really feed themselves I needed to keep doing what I was doing so we, we, we talked through a lot of things, we prayed through, got counsel, and decided on medication alongside some therapy. So yay for medication. I am a huge advocate, and even 10 years ago I shared that because I don't know if there's still a taboo about medicine, but if there is, man, that's a gift. And I was very thankful for it because it allowed me to breathe long enough so that the therapy I went to was very effective. I chose a, a, it was kind of like this Bible, biblical counseling, and it was, it was this super intense, it was like a discipleship boot camp. And I did bring some of my homework and notes. If you guys are interested or just a little bit nosy, that's cool, and you wanna take a look, I'm happy to share that with you after the seminar is done. So that helped, that was transformative. It took so much for me to be honest about my struggles and I felt so relieved. And I never thought in a million years that I would have to revisit this topic. But here we are. <laughs> and the reason why is because some weird, cool, and a little dis bit dysfunctional things have happened in these 10 years regarding anxiety and mental health issues in general. Okay, so today, we can talk about it. I feel like everyone is talking about it. 
And that's really good. I, there was even a Super Bowl commercial about mental health. I don't know if you saw it, but it's super funny. You see all these people who are telling their relatives their struggles, and they're just nodding politely. And the relatives are saying things like, oh, you're not depressed, just cheer up. Oh, everyone gets a little anxious, just go for a run. And at the end, there's a voice, voiceover saying, that's not helpful. Get real help. <laughs> and there's like a... It's like, it is the equivalent of uh, someone saying, I have cancer, and you'd be like, oh, just put some Vicks on it. You're going to be okay, <laughs> right? That, so, so we have that understanding now in our culture, and that's good. Even Gabby Douglas, the greatest gymnast of all time, stepped back from Olympic events because of mental health issues. If she did that 10 years ago, she would have lost all her sponsorships. She would have been kicked out of the Olympics. We don't do that. But today... She was celebrated. She was applauded. Way to take care of your mental health, Gabby. Yes, there were some criticisms, but even the critics were criticized because they're like, she was taking care of her mental health, come on. So this is a good thing. And I think even in the churches, we're talking more about it. And that's a good thing. Because only when you are real can God really change you. And that's great. Okay, here's the dysfunctional part of what is happening in our culture. There is an attitude that if you choose health, if you choose wellness, if you choose healing, you will be criticized. How do I know this and what do I mean? Okay, Adele, one of the best vocalists of all time. My girls kill it on karaoke when they do Adele, I'm just saying. There may or may not be a video on social media, I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. <laughs> So she lost a bunch of weight recently, not because she wanted to necessarily lose weight, because she had some very anxiety-inducing events in her life. And she said, you know what, going to the gym really helped. It really helped and it made me feel better. It helped my mental health. Instead of people saying, hey, way to move forward. I'm so glad you're in a better place. The comments on social media, and you can Google this, you won't believe it, I didn't believe it, and then I read it and I thought, Lord, we, we need to address this. The comments were, oh, I feel so abandoned by you, Adele, how could you? How could you conform to Hollywood beauty standards? Uh, you know what, congratulations, but I liked you better before. And my personal favorite, you know, <laughs> Some people just weren't meant to be skinny. I know, I know, I know. I was shook because, I mean, sure. I understand maybe if you see someone getting fit and you're not fit, which is my daily reality, I'm okay with it. God made leggings for a reason. But to know that she had this thing that helped her mental health, you would think people would applaud that they didn't. So I want us, to cast vision, I want to communicate that not only is anxiety, depression, mental health issues okay and necessary for us to talk about, it's okay to talk about it, it is also not just okay to get healing, it is God's plan and desire for you to experience that freedom and that healing. And 10 years later, if, if you would have told me 10 years ago, that I could be walking in this level of freedom, of fearlessness, of anxiety-lessness, I would not have believed you because I thought, hey, just admitting it and being honest about it was the victory. But much like late night infomercials, God spoke from heaven and said, but wait, there's more. And there is, and there's so, so much more. And that's what I wanted to communicate today, the other side of anxiety. We don't have to be afraid to go there. We can be excited. We can anticipate, we can eagerly await God's complete healing. All right, so what does that look like? So during that season, and, I, and I'm glad that it took 10 years because sometimes we kind of, I don't know, we're in a, we live in a microwave society. We live in a Google search society. Everything is instant. Healing is not instant. And, it, and that's okay. That's okay. It shouldn't be. So over um, time, starting from the counseling and over those 10 years, there are stepping stones that I walked. There's four of them I'm gonna share with you today. I have walked them, and then I've gone back over them and walked them again. Sometimes I skip over one and camp out at one stepping stone for a minute. 
But these are all incredible tools that have helped me, and I hope, I hope you can um, connect with some of them. And there will be Q&A at the end. You guys all have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you are God's kid, which means you have insight, you have truths that God has shared with you. There are questions that will be asked that some of you guys will answer. That's exciting. And honestly, that's my favorite part. So if you think of a question or a comment, jot it down. We'll get to those at the end. All right. So stepping stone number one. And for you kind of OCD people, they are alliterated, which makes me really happy. <laughs> so the first stepping stone is will. My first stepping stone to healing had to be a decision of will. Now, I, I say this because part of me was very happy to hide behind, behind being anxious because if I was anxious and overwhelmed, I could kind of get a free pass from doing stuff. And I'm not saying that's anybody, I'm saying that's me. Now, that wouldn't always work. You still have to do stuff because you're a grown-up. But Jesus asked a very good question in John 5, we look at verses 1 through 9, and we, most of us are familiar with this story. And it's about the paralytic at the Pool of Bethsaida, who was paralyzed for almost 40 years. And he did not go looking for healing. Jesus came to him, which that in and of itself is beautiful. Jesus can come to you when you're hurting, even before you seek healing. Isn't that exciting? So Jesus comes up to this man, and he asks the million-dollar question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want it? And at first, it might seem like a stupid question. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Until you realize that there is a cost to being made well. It's going to cost you your comfort. It is going to cost you what you are familiar with. It's going to cost you the relationships that you've built in this place. The only people that paralytic had spoken with in the 40 years was the other people in his same situation. It's going to cost you. And if, if you're like me and some other women, it's going to cost you the energy you've been relying on to get things done. When you are anxious and you're freaking out, that's when you can make the to-do list. That's what sometimes, not always, can propel you to, to accomplish all that you need to accomplish. But I've discovered I do not need anxiety to be the woman God wants me to be. I do not need anxiety to accomplish the things God wants me to accomplish. It is, it's a burden I didn't need. Do you want to be made well? This requires honesty, which is really scary. Just like it was really scary for me to be like, yes, I have anxiety. Great. It requires courage to be honest, that's so important. And the humility necessary to get better and get the help that you need. Will, do you want to be made well? Second stepping stone is work. To quote Rihanna, work, 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 work. <laughs> you had, <laughs> did I get that right, Danielle? <laughs> she was counting, that's so cute. Okay, so there is a lot of work involved in getting help and in getting better. There's even a verse, I didn't look it up, but you can Google it, work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. There is work involved getting better. You know, salvation is free, sanctification takes effort. The gym membership might be free, but those ripped abs will cost you sweat equity, right? You get the idea. Okay, so I had this wrong mindset of, uh, of I'm gonna call it passive Christianity because I remember hearing a lot of, oh, just wait on the Lord, be still. And those are important things, but I didn't have the whole picture. And that's okay because we're always growing and learning. So Exodus 14, verses 14 and 15, gave me the most intense chiropractic adjustment to my brain that allowed me to embrace this work and move forward. So Exodus 14, 14, we're all familiar with. We make beautiful memes with cherry blossoms in the background that we post on social media. And this is when the Israelites were freed from Egypt. They were backed up into the Red Sea, cornered by the Egyptian army, ready to wreck them. And Moses tells them, 14, 14, be still and God will fight for you. And I like that because I like sitting down and kicking my feet up. But how did God respond in verse 15? 
he responded, why are you just standing around? Move forward, exclamation point. Moses was telling them to be still. God was telling them to move forward. There are some aspects of God we can only know when we're still. But there are other aspects of God we can only learn when we move forward. And healing is one of them. This is where I did my work. So there were two main areas in my brain where I had super wrong thinking and through the medication which let me breathe long enough to go through these things, we tackled them in therapy. And the two areas were my thinking about God and his heart towards me and my thinking about my, idol, my fears and idols. They were two very strong areas I had to change my thinking in. So the work that I did to change my thinking about God included lots of homework. So I had to read books and pamphlets that my counselor would, gave, would give me, and they were really good. A couple of them included The Cross-Centered Life. It's a little book, but it's a lot of Jesus. And another book called Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. And it's in this book that the line came out, it is easier to obey God than to trust God. And I felt very known in that moment because that's exactly what I was doing. Another piece of work I had to do was every day, every day, read five Psalms. I had to write down God's names in those Psalms, his attributes, the knowledge of God I needed for that day and specifically what I worshiped about God. That is a great boot camp to get to know your God, let me tell you. And the verse that changed everything for me was Psalm 18:19, and it says this. He rescued me because he delights in me. When I would read the Bible, I would feel very accused and very ashamed and very embarrassed towards God and towards my brothers and sisters. When I would read, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, I felt like God had his hand on his hip and he had the finger of judgment and he was swaying his neck saying, girl, don't be anxious, stop it, stop it, stop right now. <laughs> and that was the 1,000% wrong picture of the God who loves me. I don't know why when I heard God loves me, it didn't compute. But I just thought, well, he says he loves me, and because it's in the contract, he has to. So my relationship with God was very um, master-servant, not father-daughter. And so this word, delight, he delights in me. For some reason, that clicked. And I was like, oh, when God looks at me, He's not doing this. He's doing this. <laughs> and I, I know it's recorded. You couldn't see my facial expressions, but God is not crossing his arms in annoyance. He is hands in the air, jazz hands, eyes open, mouth smiling when he looks at me. That's delight. That changed my thinking, my relationship with God. All of a sudden, God was a safe place. God was a place of peace, not a place of anxiety. Okay, so that was the God thing that in my therapy and work I had to learn. And then we have over here the fears and the idols. And here is the biggest plot twist for me. Fears and idols are the same thing. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. My counselor gave me all this paperwork. I don't enjoy paperwork, but I did it. I did it. I had these sheets of paper, one of which was called um, an idol test. And this was very helpful. It was a series of statements with fill in the blanks. And I had to fill them in daily. And they included statements like, if only blank, then I'd be happy. After all I've sacrificed and done, I deserve blank. Or my favorite and the one that opened my eyes, I'm afraid that blank. Along with this, I had to fill out a fear journal same idea. What am I fearing? And then after identifying these idols and fears, 
I had to go to the scriptures and find the truth that combated the idol, that crushed the idol, that crushed my fear. And you guys, I am, I am not an introspective person. I don't like sitting in any kind of emotional pain. I, it's not fun for me. I would rather do other things. And so this really forced me to sit with God in my discomfort. And God met me there. I will share very quickly what this kind of work, unearthing my idols and my fears, allowed God to do in my heart. Okay, so one day I'm doing my homework at our table, and in the back, my husband was walking towards the door to lock it. He has done this every day of every year that we've been married. He locks up at night. So I am listing my fears and idols, and one of my fears, I'm gonna be very open with you, was I feared losing my husband's favor. I had gone to every like how to be a good wife seminar and teaching, and I was gonna do it because that's what I wanted to do, I to be a good Christian and a good wife. But then there was this fear of, oh my goodness, what if I lose that favor? What if he's not happy with me? That terrified me, and I had to confess that to the Lord. And in the middle of that confession, my husband is walking toward the door to lock it, and I look up, and I have never been more panicked in my life. And I said, Frank, don't leave. Don't leave, don't leave me. And he looked back and looked at me like I had three heads. He's like, I'm just locking the door, honey. What are you talking about? And it was in that moment that God revealed to me that fear of losing your husband is because several years ago when I was 11 or 12, my father left us and I had, I think they call it abandonment issues. I would not have known that. I don't know if that, that, that matters. But my father would say things to me, just like any father would, I love you, I'll do anything for you, I'll never leave you, I'll always be here for you, and then he wasn't. And so fast forward, my incredible husband, who has been Jesus to me for almost 25 years, he would say the same things. I love you, I'm committed to you, I'm never gonna leave you, I, you know? And so that created something in me I could not identify had I not done the work to unearth the idols and allow God to speak to that fear and replace it with the confident truth that God is enough and God's got me because he delights in me. So that work, that work is so important. And it, honestly, guys, it was uncomfortable. It felt like I was learning how to write with my left hand because the thought patterns were not, were not easy to change. My thought patterns were, un, it was unnatural to change them, but it was so it was so worth it. Freedom is always worth it. It's always, being closer to God is always worth it. Okay, so the work of understanding who God really was and how he felt about me, the work of unearthing my fears and idolatry, which I found was the same thing, will work. Okay, the next point, it's kind of like the continuing education of that work. And it's the only stepping stone that we can carry to eternity with us. It's pretty sweet. And the third stepping stone is worship. It is worship. Mm. So without this, without this aspect, you will only ever have the world's best. That's all. And I love what Dave shared earlier. He's like, I'm not about lobbing grenades at the world because the people in the world, they're just hostages to the world systems anyway. So I'm not, I'm not about that. In fact, if you are here and you're, you're not into Jesus for whatever reason, or you're not a believer, I really recommend that you still go through the stepping stones of will and work because there's help. Just like Adele going to the gym was helpful for her. Here's the thing, there's more. <laughs> there's more that is available to you only through Jesus Christ. And how do I know this? Let me tell you. Okay. John 14, 1, Jesus tells us that he gives us his peace, not as the world gives. So there is a difference between what the world can offer us and what Jesus offers us. And this is where it gets really sweet to my soul. If you uh, are a little Bible nerdy like me, you can look up the word peace from the Old and New Testament in the Hebrew and the Greek. And the meaning of peace in both the Old and New Testament is complete. Lacking nothing. 
Come on. So while the world's help isn't always bad, it is absolutely always incomplete. And God wants complete healing for us. So worship includes knowing the object of your worship intimately. The anxiety that I had for all those years was a direct result of me not really understanding who my God was. I was anxious because the God that I made up in my mind was accusing me. And that was the life I was living. And that's not who God is. Psalm 115.8 says, um, those who make idols will be like them. Will be like them. So in my mind, I thought I was worshiping God. And you know what? And he, he doesn't hold that against me. He doesn't. He lovingly patiently came to me and helped me. And that's his posture with you as well. But I had that wrong idea and I was living the fruit of that. And of course, as I mentioned before, worship also included surrendering my idols. And sometimes, like Dave said, Dave is so animated, I really enjoy him. I would totally have done that morph jump and hurt myself as well. <laughs> so so it, is, it is a battle and sometimes worship is the battle. Uh, my daughter Isabel shared this really great analogy with me. She's like, if you want to take yourself off the throne of your heart and put King Jesus in that place, it's going to be a constant battle because if you look at history, no transfer of power was ever peaceful. There was a bloody war every single time. What makes you think the battle for our hearts will be any less intense? I know! She's so wise. <laughs> and, and man, that, that opened my eyes. But you know what? It's worth it. Because it is only King Jesus on the throne of my heart that gives me that peace that passes all understanding. That peace that is complete. That peace that when I walk into a situation feeling like I'm not prepared or I should not have said that or I shouldn't have done that or I should have done that or I should have said something. Oh no, there's something lacking. Wait, no. Jesus' peace is complete and he completes everything. He is enough for everything. I can just breathe easier thinking about that. And my favorite visual of Jesus being complete, bringing us this complete peace, is his last words on the cross, which were what? It is finished. There is nothing lacking, sisters. We can worship a God like that, can we not? All right. So will, work, worship. And the last one is wiring. It's knowing how you're wired. Now, where the work stepping stone had a lot more to do with truth and knowing what is true, the wiring stepping stone has a lot more to do with wisdom. There is wisdom in knowing yourself. Proverbs 14.8 says, the wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way. There is a wisdom in understanding how you are wired, why you do the things you do. Even 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Now, I always used to think this was a bad thing because I thought, well, we're supposed to think of ourselves less, right? And think of Jesus more. Yes, that is true. But he invites us into this wisdom. Because remember, unless we understand what's going on here, we cannot bring it to Jesus and allow him to heal us. All right. So some people, I understand, don't enjoy figuring out their wiring because sometimes people use it to say, well, I'm just this way, so I don't, I don't do that. Uh, you know what? I just, I don't really enjoy reading, so I'm just not going to read the Bible. It's just not how I'm wired. Okay. And all of us are like, hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> And so I'm going to say this about wiring. You don't find out your wiring to excuse yourself from what is hard for you. You find out your wiring so you can understand how to overcome what is hard for you. Say it again for the people in the back. I will say it again for the people in the back, Talia. Yes, I will. You don't figure out your wiring to excuse yourself from what is hard for you. You figure out your wiring so you can understand how to overcome 
what is hard for you. And I gotta tell you, there's so many tools out there that are very helpful. I mean, legit, and we're not gonna go through all of them. I'm just gonna share with you the tool that helped me. You can take it or leave it. I know it is not the Bible, it is not the gospel, and that's fine. If you hate it, that's okay. There's other ways that you can figure out how you're wired. So my tool, the one that helped me was the Enneagram. So if you're familiar, oh yeah, I got it, I got it, yes. I got it. Some people love, some people hate it, some people like, I don't know, it's too much information. So the reason this tool was helpful for me is it didn't just tell me what my behavior looked like because I, I knew how to do behavior, right? I spent so much time acting right, I didn't actually have anything left to actually get right. This particular tool explores the motivations and fears of nine different types of wiring. Another way that I, I've heard this explained that it was helpful, it's nine different ways of seeing the world. And that's really, really helpful. And not only did it help me figure out, oh, I don't have to compare myself with so-and-so, I can celebrate her because that's how she's wired, this is what motivates her, and I don't have to feel bad about me not being that way. So I'm gonna really quick <laughs> just go over the nine core fears. I mean, this conference is called Courageous. This is a teaching about anxiety. So these nine core fears kind of fit perfectly into what we're talking about. So um, number one, sorry, I, when I scroll really fast, I get dizzy, so I have to go slow. <laughs> um, and you can look it up. The, uh, it's any Google search will help you uh, find the Enneagram. Okay. So Enneagram type one, the core fear is being bad. You have an inner critic that's always telling you, you should have done that better, you could have done that better, you should have done that. That's a core fear, being bad, being wrong. Enneagram two, the core fear is being unwanted or being unlovable. And I've heard it said that if you're this type, you really want love, but you'll settle for appreciation. So you're gonna do what it takes to get that love in terms of service. Enneagram three, the core fear is not being valued, not being admired, and there is a significant fear of failure for this type. Not because they are being superficial, but because for them, failure means they have let you down and you are disappointed in them and that crushes them. Enneagram four, the core fear is being without significance, having no meaning. Do I even matter? There's also a desire to be unique. And so if you feel like you're just one of the crowd, that doesn't feel good. Enneagram five, the core fear is being invaded, being overwhelmed. Think of like a super introvert. I have a, a friend of mine who his fear was being catastrophically depleted. Mm -hmm. So he would just remove himself from situations. That's a fear. That's the Enneagram five fear. Enneagram six, core fear, being without support or security is feeling unsafe. And that can be emotionally or physically, being unsafe. Uh, Enneagram seven, that's me in Madison. And of course, you know, I love that, I knew it. And so the sevens are known as the enthusiasts, which comes to no surprise that there was a whoop whoop. <laughs> I love you so much, okay. So the, the, the seven core fear, which was mine, was being trapped in emotional pain. <laughs> Oh my gosh, in case you didn't hear that on the recording, there was a snort. <laughs> being trapped in emotional pain. Enneagram type eight, the core fear, being controlled or being harmed. That includes being betrayed. There is a core fear of letting people in and having them do you dirty. Enneagram nine, the core fear is being separated, being at a loss with others, losing peace in the environment. There is a fear of that. They will stuff their own desires and feelings, if it means keeping the peace because the idea of conflict is horrifying to them. So these are some of the fears. It's okay if none of them fit you, that's fine. There are, all of them? You are the Enneagram. You are the Enneagram. Way to be an overachiever. <laughs> they are. Yes, and it's really, it's so helpful because for me, um, being trapped in emotional pain was my fear, and this is why. Because I don't like emotional pain, I like fun. 
for my fun people. I like fun. I would rather have a really good conversation with someone or, um, or just go dancing. I mean, like Faith Walkers, I know we come for the sessions and the seminars, but also the parties and the ARC. Am I right? Like, so, so those are the kind of things I enjoy. The ARC is the gymnasium area. Anyway. So when I had to deal with all this, it was excruciating. But because I understood my wiring, I could discern my next step, not someone else's next step. Someone else's next step may have had to do with doing something, right? Moving forward or taking on some service project or something. Mine was to sit in my pain, my emotional discomfort with Jesus and let him minister to me in that. That's where I found my freedom. It wasn't fun. I know it's good. I'm not looking forward to doing it again and again and again. But now I have the tool to understand that that's what I need to do. Wiring. Wiring is so important and so helpful. So we're going to wrap up here. And then, so if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, get those ready in your brain and we'll get those rapid fires. We'll have about 15 minutes. But just one more thing I want to say, and then I'll take questions and comments and stuff, is... As I mentioned before, this is a process. I am still growing and learning. I don't identify myself as an anxious pastor's wife anymore. I seriously do not. I've never been more free. Character arc. And, <laughs> character arc. I love it. That was so good. And it's, it is all the Lord. It is the completeness of his peace and the wisdom he's given me and coming alongside me as I walk the stepping stones. Wherever you are in your journey, God is not in a hurry. God is not, people are in a hurry. God is not. So don't feel bad about taking your time. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, so we'll go ahead and wrap up and we have a few minutes, we're about 13 minutes for Q&A. So any comments, thoughts, questions? Ready and fire. Yeah. I had a question. Um, you talked a little bit about how your husband didn't even really realize that you were anxious. And I was wondering if you had any advice for like, what sort of their role is like because you don't want to treat them as a therapist but yes. then also they're also so much emotional support for you so yes girl million dollar question okay my girl is evelyn right yes my girl evelyn was asked a great question i'll repeat it for the recording how do you involve your husband in that <coughs> if we're not supposed to treat him like a therapist but they are we're one so how do we involve them in our healing health i think um, for me, and if anybody else has an answer, we'd love to hear it, it was to be honest with him. Like he would say things to me like, hey, uh, we got about 10 minutes, we're gonna host 30 people in our house for home group, and so I need the kids fed in this before then and have them in the room and da da da, and then I need you to host and cook dinner, or whatever. And inside, I'd be like, ah! <laughs> but outside, I'd be like, sure, honey, I'm on board. <laughs> and I think, and it, and it was, it is not possible for our husbands to lead if they don't know who's actually following. So being honest with your husbands about your pain or spiritual leaders. If you're not married, that's okay. God's given you spiritual leaders in your lives that can help you. Be honest. Just be honest. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm considering this. Just be honest. Great question, Ellen. Thank you so much. All right, any other questions or comments, thoughts? You can also disagree with me. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, Madison. Like, when do you... I don't know if you even have an answer, but mm. what is the line for sitting too much Girl. in your feelings? <laughs> I know. Ask the seven. <laughs> so the question was, how do you know if you're sitting too long in your feelings? We don't ever have to worry about that. <laughs> okay. I will, I will answer that with a story. When uh, one of my kids left for college, I was really sad. And God was inviting me to sit in that pain. And I wanted to kick rocks. And I kind of did in my house. I literally was walking around like this, shoulders slumped. I was like kicking fake rocks in my house. I was like, fine, God, you want me to sit in the pain? I'm sitting in it. <laughs> what now? You know, and I had this terrible attitude towards God. And, and he answered me. He answered me. He said, sweetheart, joy is not created. I am the source of joy you will feel joyful again. It's like, oh, oh. That so I'm not trapped in this emotional pain. This is just for a minute. I can receive God's comfort 
and look forward to his joy. So the fear of being trapped in that pain will always make us ask, well, how long do I have to sit in it? <laughs> so uh, I would just say, till you meet with God, till you hear from God. And he loves you and gets that our threshold for that is really short. So he'll come to you. He will. <laughs> do it. said that I heard that was good. It's just a song I heard mm. and it was encouraging to me. And it made the phrase, like it was talking about a person and like how their relationship fell apart. But it was like, my joy doesn't end with you. And I just thought that was really good. Like anything I heard that like ends with something, like my joy doesn't end there. Mm. I just really like that. So. Yes. So for the recording, <laughs> she was talking about a song that shared if a relationship ends or something bad happens, the song lyric is, my joy doesn't end with you. Amen. Amen. Well said, Madison. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Any other questions or comments or thoughts? I wanted to say something kind of random, but Madison, what you said um, reminded me of Psalm 23, 1. How mm. it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And I love, like, like just, like, in my nerdiness, like, yeah, <laughs> I'm remembering, like, okay, then the opposite is also true. Like, nobody, no thing can be what I need. Mm. Find himself to be that. Yes. So anytime that Good um, job. that like I am like in a place of struggling in that sense, I remember that verse. Mm. Um, and I just like mm -hmm. play the opposite game. Like okay. Yeah. Play the opposite game. <laughs> awesome. Oh my gosh, Natalie, so is well said. True? Like if truth is if truth is objective, then mm. like the opposite has to be true. Like it has to align perfectly. Yes. Um, Ooh. Great Psalm 23:1. God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, so common too, but Amen. Like really and without him, it, like, yes. It does come. Great. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Natalie. That was beautiful. There's a hand back here. Yes. Hi. Um, I just guess over the years with counseling, mm. I struggled with the idea of medication with anxiety. Yes. And knowing that it's relevant and helpful mm -hmm. but not and but you know the just been with a spiritual battle like yeah. what's the difference between needing the medication and and just like you're just not obeying like some things and gotcha some like you know so, so um mm. what at what point and then you said using the medication really got you to a, a point where you could apply yes work the counseling the at what point did you come off the medication and great that transition <clears throat> Oh my gosh. Fantastic question. So she had asked um, about medication and how did I know that it was okay to do that and it wasn't just I'm being disobedient and I'm just using this to maybe circumvent some things and then what was my process to get on and then off? Is that more or less? Okay. Well, if I miss something, I'll... So the um, getting on the medication, I had already been doing everything I knew to do. I was doing all the things I needed to do. Not perfectly, but I was. I was reading the Bible, memorizing, praying. I was serving, like all the things like, that I was told, oh, you should try this. I would do it. And, and then I got counsel, wise counsel. You know, my mom, who also struggles, um, it's genetic sometimes. So she was like, you should do it. You should do it. And then for me, of course, I can't move forward until I hear from God because it just feels weird. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. And in my quiet times, you know that experience of God talking to you, where you know that you know that you know. I felt like he was saying to me, this is, this is me helping you get out of the mud and the mire so that you can be steady long enough to move forward. So that was what convinced me personally. And then how I got off. So my counseling was 10 weeks. I took the medication for three years because there was a practice of applying these truths my, you know, that, that took effort. And it was, about, it was two or three years later that I was like, you know, I wonder. I wonder if I don't need this anymore. It just happened. There was no silver bullet. I was like, let's just see what happens. And I would do every other day and do once a week. And then I would just... Do it as needed, because if I had a panic attack, I really need to breathe, so I could just take it then, and I just stopped, and I was good. So that's how that process looked like. Great question. Yeah? Could I actually share my story? Please. Um, Hold on, girl. I'm going to come to you with the mic. <laughs> I um, struggled with the same thing, actually. Oh, you didn't see it. Okay, I didn't know who it was. I didn't see it. 
Uh, and I actually started taking medication before I was doing, I was going to counseling, I was praying a lot, you know, reading my Bible, going mm-hmm. to my parents, everything I could. Um, and then when I started, uh, this is how I see it. There was so much going on, mm. and I couldn't sit still enough to process it on my own mm. because there was so much going mm-hmm. on. And um, so I I really was like, and with my parents, we were like, we believe that the Lord really mm-hmm. provided this so that I can... Um, I can actually be able to take a step back because mm. this is how my counselor one time mm. put it. Um, your thoughts are like, you know, like traffic going mm. back and forth. And when you're, sometimes you're in it and you can't, you like physically on your own cannot take a step back mm-hmm. from it and just see it as those thoughts running and like not defining you. Mm-hmm. And so when I um, went on anxiety medication, um, at first I didn't realize how much helped at first I didn't, but then, um, yeah, just what you were saying, I was just mm. sitting here like, wow, like, I, it was the same thing. It mm. just made it to where my body physically calmed down mm-hmm. to where I could actually be like, okay, wait, that's a thought that's not who I am, that does not define me. Yeah. But before, because everything was just going on, it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and the way I actually got off of it, I was only on it for, I think, about six or seven months. Oh. It actually, unfortunately, made it to where I couldn't have periods. So it was really, oh. it was interesting. It had one yeah. of those random side effects. Sure. But um, um, anyway, that's probably TMI or whatever. But there, there are oh, some no, side effects like that. What's the same girl? <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> Julie, thank you so much yeah. for that testimony. I love that. And this is why stuff like this is so important. Because we got to share our stories with each other. Because we're... we're Quote Troy Bolton from High School Musical. Oh. We're all in this together. <laughs> all right, we have about three minutes. Are there any closing comments, questions, or thoughts? Yes, Sonia. I think one of the hardest things is to acknowledge the fact that we are anxious. Yeah. Because it is hard to acknowledge. Being brought up to be tough and strong, yes. and not to uh, allow weaknesses. Girl. Yeah. And then surrender. Mm. Acknowledge and surrender. And be strong. And mm. I like what you said. Very courageous. Mm. What's your name? For sharing your, your story. Julia. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. Because you yeah. did what you had to do. Yeah. You took, you took uh, the reins. You did not allow yeah. Satan to whip you around. Yeah. And work in your life. And yeah. And you said, no, this is it. Sonia, I love that point. You know, we are grown to be tough. And you're one of the toughest people I know. You're like, oh, this like warrior, princess, queen. I love it. And, <laughs> but yes, it does take courage to acknowledge. It takes courage to get help. And of course, in our weakness, he is strong. Hallelujah. All right, well, let's pray out, and then we can run to lunch before anybody gets in line, right? <laughs> Father, thank you so much that you are with us, that... Your desire to teach us is greater than our desire to learn. Your desire to heal us is greater than our desire to be healed. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.